This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back. Great to have you. A third hour is underway here on Freestyle Friday. We are joined by Anderson Wilder. He was the crew engineer and executive officer at the Mars Desert Research Station located out in the Utah desert. Anderson, great to have you. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. All right. So you were part of this program that is essentially a dress rehearsal for what life on Mars would actually be like. Tell us about this. What's this like? Yeah, so it's it's called an analog mission, and this particular one was um, organized with the Mars Society, uh, directed by Dr. Rob Zubrin. Um, it's pretty much a habitat that we have that is set up out in Utah. Uh, they also have one in Hawaii. NASA has one down in Houston, and they also use the bases in Antarctica as um, a research hub. And pretty much we have a team that goes out, and does research, but they do it in the context of being on Mars. So once the simulation starts, um, everything is set that you have you are behaving as if you're on Mars. If you have to go out outside to look at any ro- any rock samples or anything, you have to go out in a spacesuit. Your food and, and water is limited, and your space to live is small. And so you're in that building with about six or seven people. Um, so yeah, that's what. Um, the basics of the analogs are. Now, what are some of the things that people might not necessarily think about, but that you have to sort of deal with the day to day? Obviously, you can't go outside without your spacesuit on because on Mars, if you decide it's time to go for a, you know go for a stroll with Fido, you you both both better have spacesuits on, or else I'm assuming it's going to be a very bad day. Uh, so you have to keep your suit on when you go outside. How do you go, how do you go about the uh, food and uh, the, the, the sort of day to day aspects of simulating life on Mars while you're out in the desert in Utah? Yeah, so um, our food, we were stationed with um, the dried food, uh, the dried and canned food, um, somewhat similar to what the astronauts have on the space station. So they have a, um, a much larger menu. Um, but we had to rehydrate our food, just like the astronauts um, up in space have to, have to now, and that's what um, is the idea that will happen with the astronauts who go to Mars, except they are also, um, NASA and other researcher, researchers are working on designing systems to be able to grow food. So on the journey to to and from Mars, uh, we would be able to grow food. So the journey to and from, but can you grow food theoretically when you're there? Yeah, there are some um, other researchers. I mean, researchers are doing um, studies in, in every possible field um, to take this a possibility. Um, there are some people who have um, 
dozen studies that show that we would be able to grow food in in Martian regolith, which is on Mars, uh, it's dirt. Um, right. So they should be able to, as of right now, um, to be able to grow food within the Martian. And how, how does yeah. uh, I see that part of the experimentation you do for this, what do you call it, a- analog training for life on Mars? is the usage yes, of 3D printing technology. Is that just essentially you get a 3D printer so that, you know, you need a – you're on Mars, you need a hammer, you print a hammer. Is this that more or less what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, that is exactly what's going on. Um, with 3D um, printing or additive manufacturing, uh, that makes – it essentially gives you free reign to, to produce what, whatever you need. Um, instead of bringing the hammer – and then needing a wrench, if you need a wrench, you just print a wrench. And so that way you are saving on material and cost. If anything breaks, if it's able to be 3D printed, you can 3D print it, not have to wait the, um, the multiple months and millions of dollars to launch it to the space station, or in the case if you're on Mars, then you'd have to wait the months, right, multiple, multiple months months to get a resupplyment. Yeah, that would be a very, even, that would be more expensive than even like Pentagon hammers, right? If they had to send that thing up to you in space, I assume it would cost quite a pretty penny. Yes, yes it would. So um, the social and psychological aspects of this, how do they try to simulate and prepare for that? I, I assume that if one was going to actually live on Mars for a period of time, I, pardon me for, you know, uh, out, out, an outsider perspective here, but it would seem pretty weird, might, might weird some people out. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's most likely not going to be for the faint of heart. Um, there are many researchers at NASA and across the world working on different aspects of team dynamics and um, sleep studies, um, eating studies, and everything else that could possibly affect the, um, the psyche of an individual who is, at, who is that isolated away from human society. Uh, and- there is... Um, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to add that there are many uh, thoughts and ideas of what could possibly happen, but there are many of, the, many of those things are not truly testable without being in the situation itself. How far are we from setting up some kind of a, a, a you know, human being, life-sustaining uh, Mars station? Yeah, I, mean, I think right now what the plan is, is NASA is looking at um, getting with international uh, cooperation um, people on Mars uh, by the mid-2030s. Um, Mid-2030s? So certainly yeah, within yeah. our lifetimes, those of us, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm f- soon to be 35, so uh, there's a good chance that there'll be people on Mars during my lifetime. Yeah, we should definitely see that. As long as everything goes as planned. Um, but yeah, um, Elon Musk, the creator of SpaceX and Tesla Motors, uh, he has a plan to get people there even sooner. And then there's also a group called Mars One, uh, which I, you may or may not have heard of. It was a group who were trying to send people to Mars one way. Uh, they also have a plan to get people to Mars sooner than that. Um, but as of, as of right now, what, what NASA is, is planning on doing is um, the mid-2030s. And just as a reminder for folks, we've we've addressed this a little bit in the past on the show uh, once, but uh, life, I mean, not life, uh, conditions on the surface of Mars right now, how cold, how much gravity, what's it like? Yeah, so uh, 
the conditions on Mars, uh, some of them are similar to Earth and some are drastically different. Um, gravity is about one-third. So if you've ever seen a big video of people jumping on the moon, it would be somewhat more similar to that than it would be to what we have here on Earth. I could finally dunk. Um, it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, the, the temperature is uh, you're looking at an average of negative 80 degrees. So um, beyond cold. <laughs> you know, um, and it's lows as far as negative 195 degrees. So it's really so cold. It, it, I mean, even people in Minnesota yeah. are like, oh, yeah, that's cold. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not short weather. Uh, uh, and, and then the atmosphere, uh, you have the atmosphere, it's um, 95% carbon dioxide. And only, um, so it's super cold, really no oxygen, or very little oxygen, and a third, a yeah. third the level of gravity that we're used to. Correct, yeah. And the, the gravity issue, that's something that is, are there concerns about how that would affect sort of human beings in ways that we can't even necessarily anticipate? I mean, is that, you know, what does that do to your internal organs and your heart? And is that, a, I, I don't know, I'm just asking. Yeah, so um, with the astronauts that we've had now uh, over the past 55 years that we've been sending people into space, they are in, in a microgravity environment, what um, we generally refer to as zero-G, where they're uh, more or less floating weightless. And uh, the longest we've had people, well, currently regular missions to the space station are running about six months long. We've, uh, we j- j- just finished a one-year study, and so we had, uh, had two astronauts, uh, one astronaut and one cosmonaut, in the space station for a year. We've had a, uh, the Rush, the Soviets, Russians have had people in Mir for a bit longer than that. Um, but they seem to be able to come back and operate more or less um, just as well as they did before. I mean, if there are problems. The legs, uh, you know, the muscles and bones are starting to deteriorate, so they spend two to three hours a day exercising. But um, there are issues that we don't know as of right now, if that, if that third gravity, how that will affect us differently from microgravity. So, again, that is something that is being studied on a daily basis by researchers around the world on how to counteract the negative effects of that. All right. Anderson Wilder was the crew engineer and executive officer at the Mars Desert Research Station located in the Utah desert. More on this on Twitter at SpaceDork80. Are you at SpaceDork84? Yes, I That is your Twitter handle. All right. That's bold. Yeah, at SpaceDork84. It's, <laughs> it's a nickname of friend I hear you, man. Hey, I, I used to be in the CIA. We used to give each other weird nicknames, too. Anderson well, Wilder, thank you very much for joining, man. Great to have you. Uh, thank you very much. It was great being here. Thank you, sir. Uh, team, Mars is red and pretty cool. You know what else is red and cool? Our sponsor this half hour, Super Beats. Beats are amazing for you. That you know for sure. I'm sure you've heard it from your parents, even your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents. Beets are incredibly healthy. They're a nutrition goldmine. They're rich in vitamins, minerals, electrolytes, and dietary nitrates. Now, beet juice is rich in nitrates, which helps muscles use oxygen more efficiently. But unless you want to start chopping up a bunch of beets, I got an idea for you. You can get the benefits of three whole beets in just one teaspoon of Super Beats with no beet taste. Super Beats. You're a super beat, super beat. You're super beady. You should check them out. I feel confident offering them to my listeners because whenever I take super beats, I get a little boost of energy. I think they're fantastic. Taste delicious. It's got a special drying process that's patented to make sure that it's all about flavor. It's super simple. Add it into water. You can put it into your smoothie, whatever you want. 
So call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com. You get a 30-day supply free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You'll love the results you feel with your first free canister, guaranteed, or your money back. That's 800-311-4367, teambuckbeats.com, 800-311-4367, teambuckbeats, B-E-E-T-S, dot com. Super Beats, yo. Check them. Be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Team phone lines are open. 888-900-3393. Please download today's show. Share it with some friends. we got some fun segments. It's a good way to get people interested in all things Freedom Hut. Let's, uh, let's make some converts to Team Buck this weekend. That will be fantastic. Uh, Jeff in South Carolina, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Thanks, Buck. Uh, this is, uh, I'm a fellow uh, Intel guy, uh, retired Air Force. Uh, um, had a couple things. One had a uh, movie quote for you. Yes, you sir. Ready? Yeah, of course. Okay. Boards don't hit back. Uh, Bloodsport. No. Nope. Oh, no, that's bricks don't hit back. Uh, Karate Kid. Nope. Man, what is it? Enter the Dragon. Ah. Uh, yeah, uh, Chong Lee in the movie Bloodsport says bricks don't hit back after Van Damme smashes the bricks as a test to get into the Kumite. He breaks right. the bottom brick. Right. That's, but that's bricks don't hit back, which is obviously an homage to Bruce Lee in uh, End of the Dragon with boards don't hit back. Fair point. Technically a martial arts movie, but I'll give you action movie on that one. So uh, <laughs> you, you did stump me on that one, Jeff. Fair enough. What else on your mind? Uh, I also had a question for you. Uh, I don't know if you saw the reports. Uh, I think it was early this week or late last week. Uh, there were reports that the... Um, AQIM iconic figure, Mokhtar Belmokhtar, MDM, was taken out in an airstrike. And I'm curious as to what do you think that will, what kind of effect that will have on the Islamic extremism there in North Africa? Very interesting. I actually didn't see this. Uh, let me see. I, I know that Mokhtar Belmokhtar, there have been reports in the past that's, that said that he would, uh, that said that he's dead. And now let me see. Yeah, November 28th, I'm seeing French strike likely, likely killed arch-jihadist Belmokhtar uh, in Libya. I, like, I, I'm always a little skeptical of the impact that leadership, that, that strikes against leadership against HVTs when you're talking about terrorist networks are going to have. 
it really is sort of dependent on the individual and the status of the group at the time. Um, Bel Mokhtar does have a – I think he's part of the – they want him in the Rewards for Justice uh, program. Um, so he's one of those terrorists where you get, uh, yeah, $5 million reward for uh, information leading to his capture. So he, he's high up on the list. And AQIM, which uh, was really just a sort of rebranding of uh, the GSPC, uh, Salafist Group right. for Preaching and Combat, uh, you know, AQIM has has engaged in some some pretty high profile attacks, but it's been a little while since they've had one that uh, got on the sort of U.S. radar. I'm not sure if they were responsible for that one in the Tunisia. I got to check on that one. If they were responsible for the one in the Tunisia beach resort. Uh, but killing Bel Mokhtar, I don't think it's going to stop the group. It, it might throw them into disarray for a few weeks, but they know that usually it's only a matter of time before we catch up with these bad guys, and so they have succession in place. And, you know, I said this when they got, uh, when, when Mullah Omar was killed, the Taliban leader, and everyone said, oh, well, you know, this is great, now Mullah Omar's gone. And I was like, well, first of all, he had been gone for two years, and second of all, the guy who replaced him was considered even more hardline in terms of his Islamic jurisprudence than Mullah Omar. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's, it's, right. really, it's really situationally dependent. Uh, so it's look. It, it's it's always a good thing when you take out the leadership of a terrorist group because it at least puts the rest of them on notice, and you know it's some measure of justice. Whether it really slows the group down or not, though, it, it's a very tough call. I'll just point out that uh, after Abu Musab al Zarqawi was killed uh, back in what was that oh six, the Sunni uh, the Sunni insurgency under AQI got worse, and the civil war in right. Iraq got worse. So. The by far the most prominent terrorist in Iraq was killed, and we had you know 180,000 U.S. troops, and civilian contractors, and all the rest there, and uh, that didn't stop it. In fact, it got worse. So we'll see. I mean, it's an excellent question. I, I don't really have much of a prediction. I'd have to dig deeper into what's going on with AQIM right now. But Belmokhtar is certainly you know he's he's been a guy that's on the radar for a long time, and uh, he got on the radar in the wrong way this time. So we'll see. All right, Jeff from South Carolina. Shield time, man. Thank you very much for calling in. Keith in Alaska, you are on the Buck Saxton Show. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Buck. Um, quick uh, quick movie quote and uh, just one quick deal. You guys were talking about the movie Shooter last week, last Friday. Um, Wait, what, what movie? To say the movie Shooter. Oh, Shooter. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen that yeah. one, but go ahead. So I would have to say that you and Ty are wrong about the movie. They, they have created... Uh, TV series called Shooter based on the movie. So at that point, it tells me it's way, it's uh, well on its way to a cult classic. So, anyways, my uh, my uh, quick movie quote for you is: um, "Many a night I put a blade to your throat. Sure glad I never killed you." Hold on a second. I know this one. Many a night I put a blade to your throat. Okay. Um. Uh, I I got I got to hit the gong. I'm out of time. What is it? Young Guns. Ah, that's right. That's right. And, and is that Lou Diamond Phillips? Yeah, Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah, Lou Diamond Phillips saying that about about Billy the Kid, right? Or no, about Charlie? Talking to yeah, Dirty Steve. Dirty Steve. Dirty there we go. I've seen a lot yep. of I've seen Young yep. Guns a lot of times, but I forgot. I forgot that one. I mean, again, action movie, more of a western, but an action movie, I suppose, and. Oh, yeah, it's an action movie. I mean, it is Western themed, but it's an action movie. I mean, they do bust out a Gatling gun in the end, so got to give them credit for oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's tons of shooting, too, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's actually probably Emilio Estevez's finest work. Definitely better than Men at Work. Oh yeah, no, probably yeah, his best movie for sure. You know, and uh, I, everybody thought that was going to launch him, but it, he just kind of petered out after that. So. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he didn't really, you know, Charlie Sheen had the much bigger career, and then of course Charlie ran into some problems later on in life. Keith in Alaska, yeah. Shield Time, my man, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for calling in. Um, yeah. Young Guns. We got a Young Guns uh, quote in there. Very, ex- very, exci- very exciting stuff, I have to say. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, my favorite. I, I, I really think my favorite Western, and it's not a classic Western, but I think Tombstone with Val Kilmer and uh, Kurt Russell is my favorite. It's the one I enjoy the most. It's my favorite Western. I'm, I'm willing to say it. I know people are going to say, what about Shane? And what about Unforgiven? And what, you know, there's a whole list, but. I like Tombstone, man. The Doc Holliday character in that, Val Kilmer, I think is the best thing Val Kilmer's ever done. Much more coming. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Now, I just totally respect this move. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, a fan of the movie Ghostbusters from Great Britain flew all the way from the UK with his girlfriend to stand in the firehouse that is the sort of building used for the movie Ghostbusters, at least the facade. It's down in Tribeca, a very sort of trendy part of downtown Manhattan. And he proposed to his girlfriend, now fiancé, in the Ghostbusters firehouse. I think that's very romantic. Does this poll work? You guys got to check out this poll. This place is great. We'll take it. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie Ghostbusters, again, I'm giving you a lot of movie recommendations. And these are old movies from the 80s, too. Uh, but I would, I would highly recommend you check it out. But yeah, this was a story. New York Daily News, others have picked this up. This guy proposed to his girlfriend at the firehouse in Tribeca, uh, fire station in Tribeca, which is, uh, it's a cool building. I've actually, I've walked past it not too long ago and checked it out. There's also the building where they have the, uh, like Zool and, uh, all that stuff that goes on on the rooftop and the end of the world's going to happen. Stay puff, stay puff marshmallow, man. It's on the upper West side. It actually is filmed in New York city. This is one of my big complaints about a lot of, uh, New York city shows and movies, uh, TV shows and movies is that they use sound stages. And it's, you, I know it's expensive to be in New York and difficult and everything else, but you just lose so much when you don't actually use the city itself as the backdrop. Like How I Met Your Mother is a very entertaining show. I, I enjoy it. I like it. Uh, it's what I kind of put on if I'm you know cooking or if I just need something to ignore that's in the background. That and Parks and Rec. I've seen Parks and Rec like three times all the way through, maybe more than that. Um, but it's all on a sound stage in California, and you can tell the whole time, and it just doesn't doesn't have the same feel. So I feel like this uh, British Ghostbuster super fan is making moves. I mean, it's one of those movies that I can recommend to you, and uh, I feel like it's it's absolutely timeless. I was glad when Vince Colonese said that he liked um, The Matrix so much. I think that's also a great call. Matrix is a really fantastic movie. So you got that you got that going on, which is nice. And I'm I'm a fan of The Matrix. I'm a fan of Young Guns. We've had a lot of fantastic movies brought up today on the show. Hard turn for a moment. Some breaking news here. 
the uh, we're talking about speech and the Democrats and how they want to sort of ban certain speech that they don't like. Well, the far right wing politician uh, Geert Wilders was found guilty. This is breaking news today. Just broke in the last few hours. Guilty of hate speech and inciting racial discrimination for leading a chant calling for fewer, fewer Moroccans in the Netherlands. Uh, this is from Telegraph, the UK newspaper. President, Ju- I'm sorry, presiding, not president, presiding Judge Hendrik Steinhuis, I think that's how you say it, said the court would not impose a sentence because the conviction was punishment enough for a democratically elected lawmaker. Prosecutors had asked judges to fine him 5,000 euros. Wilders, the head of the PVV Freedom Party, was not present to hear the judgment, but his lawyer, Geert Jan Knups, Knups, immediately issued a statement to say that he would appeal. Um, the case was based on almost 6,500 official complaints after Wilders led a party rally uh, during a local election campaign in The Hague in March 2014, asking whether there should be more or fewer Moroccans in the Netherlands. So, and he tweeted out, Wilders uh, tweeted out, Three PVV-hating judges declare that Moroccans are a race and convict me and half of the Netherlands. You know, very interesting here. Um, It took 20 months, by the way, for this case to finally reach a verdict. And it's three months before the Dutch general elections where Wilder's PVV is leading in some polls. So this is not a minor thing for the Netherlands, but I I think for us it, it exposes something very interesting and that is that Europe, we are the exception. Always keep that in mind. We are the exception when it comes to the First Amendment and free speech. Europe doesn't really have free speech. It, it, it does not. Uh, first of all, if you go to a country like the UK, their Official Secrets Act is even more kind of onerous. And I mean, they, they can tell the press, for example, you know, you can't publish that or else. I mean, that's that is done in the UK. Uh, here, that would be considered prior restraint and except in very limited circumstances would would not be allowed. And I mean, it's it's never really allowed. But um, anyway, so uh, in the in Europe now, if you oppose certain nationalities uh, immigrating into the country, you that's a, whether that's a nice thing or not. I'm not even touching on that. That doesn't even for the purposes of our discussion right now, it doesn't even matter. What does matter is that you're not allowed to say it. It's a crime. They'll fine you. And they could even theoretically imprison you for it. And I just think that this is an important thing to keep in mind, that our notion of free speech, we talk about free speech, and we think, oh, the world, the Internet, everything's so free, you can say what? No. No, a lot of countries, first of all, a lot of countries you can't say anything about the ruling regime without getting in trouble. But even in liberal Western Europe, where we get a lot of our own, uh, ideas about common law and uh, about society and governance. Um, obviously, sort of the the we sprung from the. I'm trying. I was trying to think of a cool analogy there, but let's just say that we we were sort of an appendage that fell off. Ooh, that's gross. We're much better than that. I'm just saying we're we're America's awesome. We came from Europe originally. You know what I'm saying? America, heck yeah. Uh, but we are the outlier when it comes to speech. Europe is um, not a free speech continent. They put limitations on ideas explicitly in law. And the left in this country wants to do the same thing. And it is an essential battleground, uh, ideological battleground, for anybody who believes in a truly liberal and a truly free society going forward. And yes, it does mean that even if you think that what what Wilder stands for is disgusting and terrible, if you are an actual liberal in this country, you should say that what's going on in 
the Netherlands, where he's advocating for a public policy that does not involve violence, it does not involve the incitement of, of actual physical harm to anyone, and advocating for a, a public policy can get you imprisoned and jailed, uh, imprisoned and fined. That's Europe, everybody. And it's true of a lot of European countries. So I think it's just uh, we should all take a step back and realize that that is um, that's what's going on. As we talk in this country about fake news and Russia intervening in our elections and everything else, we do not want the government in a position to tell us what we can and cannot say. Uh, We're going to hit a break. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. It's the Buck Sexton Show. Team, it's Freestyle Friday, so let's talk about some dinosaurs. In fact, the tale of a 99-million-year-old dinosaur, including including bones, soft tissue, and even feathers, has been found preserved in amber. This, according to a breakthrough new report, the study's co-author, Ryan McKellar, joins us now. He is the curator of invertebrate paleontology at Canada's Royal Saskatchewan Museum. Ryan, great to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, please tell us about your findings. Well, what was discovered and where was it discovered? So this particular piece of amber comes from an amber market in Myanmar, and it's a, a huge deposit that's been mined for many years, and over the last 20 years or so, it's become a huge source of fossil insects, and more recently, things like vertebrates, things with backbones. Um, this specimen is basically a, a small section out of the tail of a, a juvenile dinosaur that would have been a small bipedal dinosaur, probably a carnivore. And it's the first time that we actually get to see bones and feathers together in the same piece of amber. So it gives us new details in terms of how the feathers attach to the bones, their overall appearance, and how they fit in in an evolutionary sense. Would it, the dinosaur, would it be kind of like the, uh, the compi from Jurassic Park? Remember the sort of small, the smaller dinosaur? Would it be that size or more like a raptor? Um, actually, the compies are a really good uh, comparison there. So it, that's actually within the same region of the family tree, so to speak. Um, and this particular specimen was a, a juvenile that probably would have been about the size of a sparrow. So we've only got a three and a half centimeter strip of the tail from near the base. And the bones that are hiding underneath the mass of feathers are only two millimeters wide. So it's a very narrow whip-like tail. So what, what could this tell us about dinosaurs that we, well, you know, how can this sort of advance our knowledge of this 99, in this case, 99 million year old species? It, it gives us a rare glimpse of um, what they would have looked like in a hand sample, or if you were to actually walk up to one of these animals. In the past, most of this evidence has come from isolated feathers in amber, where we're never quite sure about the source animal, or um, compression fossils, where you've got a skeleton and a sedimentary rock like a sandstone, and there's a faint trace of carbon around the outside of the body where the feathers used to be, but they're sort of tangled and overlapping each other and lacking fine details. Here we get to see everything in 3D and down to like thousands of a millimeter, thousands of an inch in terms of the um, scales or the resolution we're getting. And so is this a dinosaur that would have been part of the, I know there's a theoretical transition or I don't even know if it's a theory now, maybe this is what's accepted by all paleontologists, but that dinosaurs sort of transitioned into, into birds or made, how did that go? Yes, this is one of the groups that is a little bit further removed from birds. Um, so the Solarosaurus, the broader group that they belong to, includes everything from Tyrannosaurus all the way up to modern birds. We're dealing with something that's a little lower down in the evolutionary tree, something that's closer to the Compsognathids or the Compies you mentioned earlier. 
We don't know exactly which species it was, um, but it fits in that general area. So it gives us a glimpse of what feathers would have looked like in that part or that, that group of dinosaurs and how they stack up or compare against birds or the, the groups that led directly to birds. And with this finding, by the way, what are the things that research-wise will be done? I mean, what are some of the processes this will go through in order to make sure that they sort of squeeze as much uh, research and, and knowledge juice out of this as they possibly can? <laughs> Well, we've actually applied a, quite a few techniques to it already. Um, so in addition to the sort of standard looking at it through a microscope or doing microphotography, uh, we were able to CT scan the specimen and look at the details of the bones and how the feathers attach to the skin um, using a very high-end X-ray machine, for lack of better description. And also to look at the chemistry of the sample where it breaches the surface of the amber and look for things like traces of iron that would give you a sense of how well-preserved the specimen is, if it records traces of blood or pigments, things like that, that would narrow down our sense of color. Um, Beyond that, the micro observations are using just standard light microscopes. We can see pigments in the feathers. So you can tell the underside of the tail is white or pale, and the upper surface would have been sort of a chocolate brown color. So it gives us um, another avenue to pursue this. We might be able to do other chemical testing to narrow down the, the colors or look at preservation in even greater detail. And you'll have to excuse the, the question, but from a layman's perspective, people would say this is sort of the beginning of the uh, w- world-famous uh, Jurassic Park, the, the plot, the book by Michael Crichton. You know, you find, uh, what was it, uh, mosquitoes in amber and dino DNA comes from that. What are the, why is that not possible? Well, um, one look at the specimen shows you that's not on the menu. Um, it is dried out and um, partially carbonized. So a lot of the soft tissue like the skin and the muscle has been replaced by a thin film of carbon um, or degraded to a thin film of carbon. So none of the original material is there, save for a few traces of things like iron from the original specimen. Um, most of what you're looking at is actually, um, for lack of a better description, like coal. It doesn't tell you or doesn't have genetic material trapped in it anymore. You might be able to look for things like protein fragments in among the feathers, but that's sort of the next step in studying this type of material. And the BBC described this as a beautiful dinosaur tail. <laughs> what, what, what about it is beautiful? Um, it, it's visually stunning, for lack of a better description. It, it's um, pretty, and um, the level of detail in the specimen is much beyond what we get in other fossils or other types of dinosaur fossils. So we get to see things like the color patterning. We get to see things like these tiny, tiny little hooklets or side branches on the feathers that tell us how the feathers were used. Fascinating stuff. Um, What is your favorite dinosaur? If I put you on the Um, spot. (laughs) Ankylosaurus, to be honest with you. It doesn't really fit with much of what I do. It's just one of those gut reaction things. Is that the one with the the club-like tail? Exactly. Yeah, that was a cool one. That's a good answer. I'll take that. I'm, I'm, I'm a Triceratops guy myself, but Ankylosaurus is also high on the list. Ryan, McKellar, <laughs> Ryan McKellar is the co-author of the study about this uh, tail, this dinosaur tail found in amber. He's the curator of inver- uh, invertebrate paleontology at Canada's Royal Saskatchewan Museum. Uh, any, anywhere you want to direct people to look more at your uh, research or any of your, uh, anything you got going on, Ryan? Uh, this paper was published in the journal Current Biology, and the Royal Saskatchewan Museum has its own webpage and Facebook page, so feel free to check us out, please. Absolutely. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I knew he was a good guy. He likes Ankylosaurus. Strong, strong call. John, favorite dinosaur is what? John, you can't, you can't not have a favorite dinosaur. That's ridiculous. It's like saying you don't have a favorite color.
Really? You're, you're going radio silent? He, he's not in the room with me, so he, he can go radio silent, and I've got nothing. I got now, nothing. Now John's giving me the silent treatment. No, I'm he, on the air with you right now. I have no, nothing no. for you. I'm sorry, Buck. That's all right, man. I didn't I mean, prep. I, 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 I figure like the, the, the go-to is a T-Rex, obviously, because big, scary, eats things. You, know, you don't want to be like a Diplodocus guy because that's like liking a, just a giant cow. Um, but you know, Ankylosaurus, very cool. Triceratops. Obviously, a lot of good PR for the Velociraptor after Jurassic Park, but I feel like Velociraptor got a little full of itself after that one. Um, but yeah, there we, I, I just, I just want to know, John. You know, sorry to put you. I put John on the spot today. Vince on the spot. Friday, you got to be ready. You know, you got to be. I think we're gonna start. I'm gonna start asking random callers in random questions as well. We're gonna add that into the mix on Fridays. Make sure everybody's on their toes. So you call in, you're like, oh, Buck, I've got a movie quote for you. I'm gonna be like, yeah. Well, what's your favorite book? And we're just gonna we're just gonna see what people come up with on the spot on the fly because that's how we roll in the Freedom Hunt. I say that it's Freestyle Friday, and I mean it. Um, so with that said, I'm trying to think. Uh, um, download the podcast. That would be a, a great, uh, a fantastic Team Buck service if you wouldn't mind. Even if you're listening live, please download it and then share it, email it, uh, text it, post it on your Facebook page, whatever. There's some fun segments that we'll put up today as Buck Shots as well. A uh, great way to get people to expand their knowledge of all things Team Buck. And I'm looking forward to a relaxing weekend, but I will miss all of you. But Monday I'll be back, back live every day next week, which is going to be an absolutely fantastic time. If you haven't already, please go to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Click like on the page. You can also send me messages there. And with that, my friends, I'm going to start off my weekend. And I bid you all the fondest of uh, farewell and adieu. And a much cooler way of saying that, of course, is Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.